Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Now, let's get into the study, if you would. Uh, If you guys want to, go ahead and join to John uh, chapter 4. It's going to be a little while before we get there, but again, uh, the youth version is up in one end. If you want to have that, there's Bibles underneath the chairs and the baskets if you need to use one. But we're going to get there in just a little bit. But we're, actually, we're finishing up a mini-series that's part of a larger maximum series, I guess is what we call it. We've been in the life of Christ now for a year and a half. We're just focusing on Him and His example, His teaching, and His life. And we have gone kind of more kind of a chronological order up to the Sermon of the Mount, and then we've been breaking it out into different segments on how that works in our life and what it means to us today. Um, like not too long ago, we did the healings of Christ and really uh, broke into those. Uh, last month, we looked at what it means to live the kingdom of God now. The kingdom of God's not just heaven someday, but how we can have the kingdom of God living instead of just like the cultural Christianity norm. Um, and then th- this month, we've been looking at what it means to be sent. We've been looking at the predominantly the the sending of the 12 apostles. And then also we've been looking at the 72 as well within that. In that particular section, uh, just to make sure everybody's on the same ballpark, the first week that we looked at this, uh, we talked about what it means to be a a prophet from a certain point of view. There is a gift of prophecy. It's a little bit different than what we're talking about today. Uh, But there is also the role of a prophet. And with Lisa's help, we'll put up the definition that we've been using when it comes to profit. It's a the second one that's a little bit longer, but I think it's still the most, um, that best defines what we're looking for here, is a prophet or prophetess is an individual who's regarded as being in contact with a divine being and is said to speak on behalf of that being, serving as an uh, intermediate, I'm still not going to say that right. Thank you, Lynn. Come preach. With humanity, why? With humanity by delivering messages or teachings from the supernatural source to the other uh, people. And so we looked at that. Obviously, Isaiah falls into that. Obviously, uh, Jonah falls into that. Obviously, Amos fell onto that. But we also saw that the, the shepherds fell into that, that they had an interaction with the divine, that they had a message to go out. And from that same perspective, anyone who's accepted Jesus as leader and forgiven their lives has that same message has that same role, would be able to take out our testimonies, our invitations, and beyond. Um, from that, last week we talked about the instructions on how to do that. And that's where we really got into the, the 12 and the 72, uh, both in Matthew 10 and Luke 22. Uh, where we talked about provision, we talked about protection, we talked about power, how those things played out for them and what it means into our lives. And again, there's a lot of really good information there um, if you want to follow the Great Commission. And, but again, you can pick that up on YouTube or uh, our Facebook or our, our church website. Today, since it's the last week, uh, we're just really praying over it. And I think I, what we really want to get into today is who is our message for? Because I think a lot of times if we say who's our message for, it's the lost or people who don't know Jesus or th- th- those type of things. But when we look at it from a biblical standpoint, when we use our, our educated biblical imagination, when we look at what Jesus did, I think it's much larger than that. And I think it's very good for us to take and realize that so that we broaden our view on what our mission field is. So if we look at just like last week, uh, when he he sent out the 12 and he sent out the 72, who did he send out the 12 to? Do you remember? Um, Huh? 
the Jews, right. It, it said, do not go to Samaria, do not go to the Gentiles. He specifically wanted them to go to the Jews. Then when he sent out the 72, he sent them out to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. And we see that that pattern of the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles repeat in the scripture, in the full context of the scripture, it's over and over again. Uh, we'll give you a scripture here from Acts. Uh, this really partners with the Great Commission where he tells us to go out and lead people to the Lord, baptize them, and to uh, teach each other to obey everything that he's commanded of us so we can have freedom. This oftentimes comes with it uh, right before he ascended. He says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. Um, when it's come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is their home city. Judea is their home country. They're the Jews. Samaria is the Samaritans. All the end of the earth is everybody that's not Jewish, which is most likely, if you're anything like me, you and me, that we're, we're the Gentiles. And in this system, thank you, Lisa, in this system of talking about things and digging into things, we see, I believe that Gentiles, the Jews, and the Samaritans, what they represented at the time of Jesus' life, still is represented in our lives today. And if his ministry is to all three, then our ministry is to all three. So I want to go through each one, just kind of talk about them a little bit. And again, Tom commentary, you can reject it, you can throw it away, you can consider it whatever you want to do. But um, scripture you're stuck with. But I, I think it broadens my view a little bit on who I'm supposed to be reaching out to and who I should be praying for. Now I'm going to do it in reverse order because I think we're more uh, familiar with the Gentiles. So just for our note takers, we will actually put the word Gentiles, boom, see? <laughs> High tech. High tech. <laughs> Gentiles. The Gentiles, according to Jesus' time, were the lost. The Jews were God's chosen people, okay? And, and his intent was these are my chosen people. I want the rest of the world to see what it looks like for me to be their God so that they are rude to me. But then the Jews got this whole mixed up thing where we're special and you're not type thing going on. Gentiles is everybody outside of that that was supposed to be rude. They're, they're, they're those who are not raised with the scripture. They're not raised in the faith. They're not raised in the synagogue. Uh, they were looked down upon by the Jewish nation. Like I, I, I said, they were on the outside completely and totally. And when they're talked about in the scripture, they're basically referring to those that are just lost, those that are outside. Uh, oftentimes we see, and there's a couple times like when I read it here, when we talk about Gentile, that means sinner. And I'm almost uncomfortable kind of reading it because I understand how their culture looks at it, but it kind of sounds like a slam uh, in today's modern day language. And so the Gentiles really represent those that are not with Christ for whatever reason it is today. Uh, Gentiles are usually those uh, that we think of at our workplace or our, our um, family events, someone who's atheist, maybe agnostic, somebody who doesn't not want anything to do with the faith, that barely will go into a church, if they will go into a church, those that joke about the church falling in on them if they walked inside because they're so bad of a sinners and all those, those type of things. That's where we're going to get the lost. And I think we understand we're supposed to be reaching the lost. I don't know if we're always all that good at it, but I, I think those who don't know Christ, we know we're supposed to be reaching out to them in Christ. Does that make sense? And it's, it's interesting in Jesus' ministry, I was just kind of thinking of one example. Um, there was a time, do you, if you remember, a woman came to Jesus uh, to be healed, and, uh, and she was Gentile. And he said to her, uh, I've come for the, for the chosen. I've come for the Jews. Do you remember this? Um, and, and that sounds so freaking rude. You know, I mean, really, for Jesus, it's just not something you would expect. Uh, I'm convinced that he was testing her faith 
And uh, her response was, yes, I understand that, but even the dogs beg for crumbs at the dinner table. And he said, man, I like you. I like our faith. And he, and he ministered to her and he healed her. But I, I think he was using that as a, an opportunity to start expanding off of what she did understand to what the truth was for her. So I think we're all in agreement. If you're a child of God, if you're, um, you know, accepted Jesus as leader forgiving your life, if you've acknowledged your mouth, he's the son of God, believe in his heart, he rose again, you're God, I'm not, I'm following you, it's our mission to reach the lost. I, I don't think anybody's going to be too worked up on that one whatsoever. So I want to spend a little bit more time on the next one, which is the Samaritans. Uh, oh, Lisa, you're so good. Look at you. Yeah, right up there on the screen. Right, right, uh, with the Samaritans, a lot of times when we talk about Samaritans, we do the comparison of who they were at the time, which were half Jewish, half Gentiles. They lived in the area between Judea, uh, where the proper Jews lived, and then the, the uh, ugly stepbrother, cousins, whatever, Jewish people lived up here in Galilee. But in the middle was the Samaritans, and whenever we talk about Samaritans being half-half, uh, we always talk about the Harry Potter muggles type thing. That's kind of what they were in their, their world. And so there's a lot of prejudice against them. So they were kind of Jewish, they were kind of not. Um, and so a lot of times when we take and talk about them, the modern-day comparison is those that we are prejudiced against that whether it be because of uh, racial differences, uh, whether it be because of economic differences, I've seen people be prejudiced against people that are in poverty. Uh, why don't they just go get a job? Why do my taxes have to pay for them? Uh, why don't you take a shower, whatever the case may be? I have seen people in poverty be prejudiced towards those that have money, uh, that you think you're better than us, or you've got everything, that type of stuff. So we see that there, there's been a lot of differences there. We see differences uh, between Christians and sinners. Sometimes that, that, that Christians can be prejudiced against sinners and think that they're better than them. So a lot of times when we talk about the Samaritans, we're doing that comparison. In this particular situation, I want to talk to them more from a standpoint of the Jewish-Gentile mix and how that would affect their faith. And how that would affect their faith. Because they would have a little bit of a Jewish understanding but they're still on the outside. Uh, for instance, I told you to go to John, John 4. That's where we're going to go for a second. Uh, we're going to look at the, the famous uh, story, the more famous story, I guess, of Jesus talking to the woman from Samaria at the well. And as you know, she comes up and um, she's getting ready to fill her, her, her bottle, her jar, her uh, bucket. And Jesus is, is sitting there. And in verse 7, it says, As she came up to draw water, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying it to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given it to you, living water. So we already see at that very beginning, she's got a little bit of understanding about faith. She has a lot of understanding about the prejudice against her. As she continues talking in verse 12, she starts talking about the father Jacob. Uh, again, going back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and that he built this well, that he was the one that gave them that water and that they used to worship on this mountain. We see that down uh, around 20, but let's start at 19. The woman said to him, so I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say, in other words, the Jews, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, thou is coming, when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. So in other words, she has some understanding here as well. We, th this is where our fathers worship, but you guys say that we have to be in the synagogue. And you know what? They're not allowed in the synagogue. They not only have prejudice against them in Jerusalem, but they're, going to, they're, they're, not, they're dirty. They're not clean ceremonially, so they're not allowed in the synagogue. So you, you say this is what we have to do, but you won't let us participate. And the thing I want to bring into from this standpoint is that, one, Jesus is fulfilling this and saying that's gone. That's not going to be the way it is anymore. Now it's, I'm looking for true worshipers. For spirit and truth, the, the, I'm fulfilling the law in the way that they perceived the law that kept you out. It's being fulfilled so that you are not in. You doing okay this time? Yeah. Okay, just doing stuff? Okay, you sure? Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're welcome. But we also see that he is building on what their common ground is. That she does have some information, she does have some education, she does have some things that she has been raised with that he starts building on. And that's what I want to look at when it comes to the scope of today is that the Samaritans can very easily be uh, compared to people of other faiths. When we look at Islam, when we look at Buddhism, when we look at Hinduism, when we look at Wicca, whenever we look at Judaism, there, is, there are similarities within, to the point that a lot of people will say, well, they're all pretty much the same thing and it's just different ways to God, which is unfortunately not true. Which is unfortunately not true. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There are major differences within them as well. So the question becomes, if we have some similarities that if someone stands in front of me that, uh, like let's say when I was back in Thailand and I'm talking to someone that, that is diehard, lived their life Buddhism, there's going to be some common grounds of what they believe faith-wise that we can talk about. It's not a situation where I put a stereotype on them or think that they're going to be a terrorist or whatever it gets to be. There's common grounds. There's things I respect about people of other faiths because of their commitment and because of their love and because of seeking God. So it's a little bit more within that ballpark, I think, when it comes to Samaritans. Even with the other uh, false religions that claim to be Christian, when we're looking at uh, Mormonism of the Church of Latter-day Saints or Jehovah's Witness, there's common grounds that we can work with with respect to reach out to them. And the challenge is today, um, I, I grew up in the it's, I'm okay, you're okay generation. So if somebody says that they're of another religion, you, I was raised as per se, oh, that's good, that's good for you. And then we don't want to, you know, offend. Or Right now we're going up in the, the tolerance era of things where we accept everything. I want to respect everybody, but I want to save everybody that God wants to save. So how do, how do I build on these things instead of making them something uncomfortable? I'll give you a, it's kind of a 2010 story. Um, last Sunday, like, I'm not sure if you guys realize, but I eat out a lot. Mm. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And uh, one of those places I like to go to is me jalapeno, if I haven't realized that either. Uh, but one of the benefits of that is I've made a lot of uh, good relationships with a lot of people that work with me jalapeno. And there was uh, one young lady that I've been teasing with quite a bit over the last couple of months. Uh, but I, I think she, Emily, she's high, high school, isn't she still? Like, yeah, so she's a junior in high school. And uh, she's... And, and she, we like messing with each other. So as I was leaving last week, I was teasing with her. I think we were done wrestling. And, uh, and I said, you know, what's your big, do you have big plans for Christmas? Are you staying close to home? And she's like, oh, my, my family's not celebrating Christmas this year. 
And so like that became uncomfortable quick. So it's like, oh, okay, change topic, change topic. And then uh, as I left, I'm like, why, why isn't she having Christmas? Is that like a financial situation? Maybe there's something going on with the family that's somebody sick or something of that nature. So uh, Amanda, I've never seen somebody try to be more sneaky in their life. You did it well. No one saw you. No, that was good. Uh, but, but I was like, is something going on? And she, um, so I decided, I, I went down to the Dollar Tree store and got like gloves and scarves and, and stuff for the uh, walk in Bethlehem that, uh, that, uh, that Ginger did. But un, unlike Melissa, I didn't get mad at him for the prices. I know, that was frustrating <laughs> for you. <laughs> Throw back to another testimony. But uh, I saw these dollar, $1 activity books for kids. Um, they were Despicable Me, and then they had sticker books. So I went and picked up 10 of those and went back down to Me Jalapeno, and she was over by the bar. And I said to her, I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't want to distract you from work any more than I already usually do. But um, I said, why aren't you having Christmas? And she goes, well, my family's Jehovah's Witness, and they don't believe in Christmas. And it wasn't like, I'm Jehovah's Witness, I don't believe in Christmas, but this is what a, a family does. I said, well... I said, I'm kind of your everyday, run-of-the-mill, uh, heretical Christians, so I think I'm still allowed to give you a Christmas gift anyways. And she's like, ooh. Like, she got <laughs> So we busted out the books, and, like, she immediately was despicable me, like, had no interest whatsoever in the, the sticker books. And then there's uh, the big guy. I wish I knew everybody's names. I don't know people's names in this church, let alone me helping out. But, like, the big guy that's engaged to another girl there, and he was sitting right behind us, and I'm like, oh, he's got sticker book written all over him. And she's like, oh, yeah. So she, like, ran that over, and then she got another despicable me for his fiance so they could do it together and took it out and whatnot. There's a way to do some outreach without disrespecting where they're at. Um, and today, the, the goal is today is to be able to go over and have lunch at Me Jalapeno again. And, um, but also take some Christmas Eve Eve invites and say, hey, I, I'm, I don't want to put you in a tough spot, but if you feel like being a heretic, that's a, you know, and you've got Friday night open, you know, you're more than welcome to hang out with us. There's ways to build on those things, and we need to look at those things. Huh? Oh, yeah, no. She beat me twice. The girl's got super big thumbs. But there's ways, to, there's ways to do that. There's ways to work on that um, to be able to reach out to others. Matter of fact, do me a favor. Go ahead and turn over to Acts 17. Acts 17. Sorry, I'm getting the sniffles now. That should be fun in the baptismal. Um, okay, so in Acts 17, we're going to see a very similar experience of this with Paul. Uh, going outside the life of Jesus a little bit, but Paul, who's greatly impacted by Jesus, had gone to uh, Athens. And uh, while he's in Athens, he's going around and he's looking at all these idols. Athens, uh, again, Greece, tons of idols, statues everywhere, all these different gods. They have tons of different gods that they, they, they worship within the Greek mythology. Um, and, he's, and he's walking around this town, and he starts telling people about Jesus. And if you read it, it's kind of, I think it's kind of funny. Uh, further up, I think it's verse 18. Some say, what does this babbler wish to say? So I'm in good company. Um, but they, they really gets their attention, so they invite him to stand and say, okay, what, you, what are you talking about? What's your message? And in verse 22, it says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the, yep, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. 
What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. He didn't come in and just start saying, you guys are idiots, you got all these false gods, you're going to go to hell. He came in, looked around and said, I can see that you guys have great faith. Holy cow, you guys are very devoted. You guys are very religious. But on this one that says to the unknown God, can I tell you who he is? Because he's the one that's actually the answer. And so there's definitely ways that we can reach out. Uh, another thing to kind of watch in the same area that's very popular in the postmodern age. It wasn't so uh, around as much when I was like in high school and whatnot. But we're in an age where in postmodernism we define whatever we want for ourselves. That, that's where we get stuff like I'm defining my truth. I'm sharing you my truth. I'm living my best life. Uh, is that I had to kind of define everything myself. And so we see now a lot more people defining their own faith that they don't, aren't part of a organized religion per se, but they pull a couple things here, a couple things there, come up with a couple things. This makes me feel peaceful, uh, th- and this, this helps me in my life, and so I'm, I'm comfortable there. Um, which, if you look at faith just from the standpoint of something that gets you through the day, makes sense. Uh, I think faith is much bigger than that. And my, my understanding of faith makes it almost impossible to see how that could be logical, because logically to me, watching Discovery Channel, History Channel, Animal Planet, that we got created somehow, that there's some God creator somewhere. I saw a cartoon on Facebook uh, a couple weeks ago where two snowmen were talking, and he's like, oh, no, no one put us together. We just fell this way. You know, it's, just, it's kind of illogical for this stuff to kind of work this way. Uh, kind of a snotty cartoon, if it be honest, but makes a point. Um, and I think... It appears that that creator is an intimate creator, not somebody who just jumps from one planet to the other. And so there's got to be a truth about that creator. And I think if that God is able to do all of this, then he's somehow revealed that truth to us. So me picking and choosing a couple of things and adding a little bit of salt and sugar on top of it, uh, to me, sounds um, almost impossibly like I, I would almost be arrogant to think that I came up with the perfect mix and nobody else has over all these generations. But I understand the allure from a peace standpoint. And like the others, they have faith, they have devotion, they're searching, they want peace, they want something more. And so we have some common ground to work on. I've got a friend right now that I've known for decades, most of my life, uh, through Judson Hill's ministry, that I care very, very deeply about. And uh, she uh, recently, about three months ago, was sharing with me that uh, that's where she's at now. That she has walked away from Christianity and she's come up with her own faith that works for her. Uh, for instance, in, in her emails, we were talking back and forth, she says, I'm the most content, peaceful, and full of joy that I have ever been. And it was very evident that she was saying, uh, I'm good, please leave me alone. Like she didn't really want to get into it. Um, so... From my standpoint, it was, I'm glad that you found peace because she's been through a hard life. I'm glad you found this. And then I shared, peace is only part of faith, so is truth. So anything outside of the truth of God, one short sooner or later. And then I said, I'm praying for you. I'm here to talk about anything that you want. And she said, thank you. And she just put a little love thing. It's a step. It's a step. And we'll continue conversations. But there's ways to build on where we're at in these common grounds instead of saying, oh, okay, hands off. I'm not going to be here. The Samaritans are very much part of our ministry. The last one I would share with you then is the Jews. Look at that. The Jews. Which, if you remember correctly, I said was who? The church. The church. 
And I'm big time believing that the church needs the church right now. Today we have all kinds of people that are either in the church or have walked away from the church for a multitude of reasons. Um, as jotted down some of the most common ones that come across uh, my plate. There's those who have been experienced, uh, have experienced church hurt due to a bad church or a bad pastor. Those who experience backsliding challenges in their life, so they pull back from the church. Those who struggle with mental, emotional, or relational health issues that bring friction to how they experience community. Those who gave Jesus a shot but had false expectations and the weeds choked out that seed very quickly. Or those who were taught false theology when it comes to love and or truth and reality crashed in on that house that was built on the sand. There was a multitude of people that were struggling within the church. There were a multitude, great multitude of people in the church that are living that cultural Christianity that we've been talking about and not living the kingdom of God, living that he died for, to give to us. We're greatly, greatly stuck here. Greatly stuck here. And so if we think of that, our message, if we're looking at things from the standpoint of kingdom of God living today, not just going to heaven someday, but kingdom of God living today, the, the, the excitement that Jesus had when he, he was saying it, it's like, it's like a field, man. It's just like a wide open field. It's like a, it's like a pearl of a great value and you sell everything else to get that pearl. It's like a treasure you find in that field. So you, you sell everything and you buy that field. No, wait a minute. It's like where he's just excited about us being able to have this kind of living and even he can't put into the words the life that we're having. The church needs to be able to hear that message today too. There's a billion reasons the church has to reach out to the church. If you would, let's go to one last passage today, Revelation chapter 3. Now, Revelation chapter 3, a lot of people have different views on it. Some people are scared of it, especially if you grew up in the 70s and watched any of the movies. Uh, some people think it's a great wonder and going to be awesome, especially if you grew up in the 90s and you read all the Left Behind books, whatever the case may be. But Revelation is a, is a great book in the, in the Scripture that has a great deal for us. Um, this particular section that we're going to look at in chapter 2 and 3 is letters that Jesus is dictating to the churches. And there are churches that are actually around when John was doing his ministry when, at, at the island of Patmos, when he was um, taking and getting his visions. This is, this is, they were actually in place and they were dealing with these issues. But they have bigger reasons for it, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, if you want to know more about these letters, we did do a series maybe four years ago. Uh, I think called the seven letters that you can pick up on the YouTube channel real easily. It goes into each letter in depth, including this one more than what I'm going to today. But this one has a particular purpose to it because I think that they're dealing with all three of the categories of people that we're reaching out to deal with. So I'm going to start in verse 14 as Jesus is speaking, and he says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works that you're neither hot or cold. I would rather you be cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's kind of an interesting side point, Lady of Sea at this point, that uh, their water came from two different water sources. One was hot springs and the other one was uh, like a cold lake. But by the water traveled to them, it was lukewarm. And I don't Maybe you love lukewarm water, but if that's all you had to drink, sooner or later you're probably pretty sick of lukewarm water. I think it's interesting some of the things that Jesus brings in to make sure we understand what he's saying. He goes, because you're being lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's crazy he said that he would rather be cold than lukewarm. 
but he'd rather us be hot. Anyways, he keeps going 17. He says, For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not really realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and shame and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Um, again, we talked about this last week. We live in a prosperous time for the church, at least in the United States. We live in a time where pretty much most of us, I can't think of but maybe one exception, has a roof over their head and food. You know, for the rest of the world, they would kill for that. There's a lot of places in this world that would die for that. Um, and, and that's where they were at. They, they, they felt like they didn't, they loved God, but they didn't really need God. So they weren't really leaning on God because they're in good shape. He says, I, I tell you, man, get the gold refined by fire, the one that comes from perseverance, the one that comes from trial, the, that, that comes through standing when it gets tough to stand. Get right garments and cover yourself with righteousness and cover your nakedness. You're out there thinking that you're all that, and you're, just, you're, you're naked before me. And then uh, soft, anoint your eyes so that you may see. Guess where the very first uh, educational place for people working with the eyes was? Like for an optometry stand, standpoint, the first place that taught people how to work with eyes was in Laodicea during this time. I just love how he brings this stuff in. I, I, you, you, th- you think you've got it, but you're seeing things from a, a foggy standpoint. I tell you, put, put some salve on your eyes. You get back to Jesus, get into Jesus so that you can see clearly and not through those fogged visions. 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. If I'm pushing your button a little bit, it's because I love you. It's because I love you, and I'm reaching out, so be, repent and get back. Repent and get back to it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You guys seen that picture, right? Like when Jesus knocking on the door type thing. It was in my little Baptist church growing up. I've seen it. You know, and you know the little story why there's no doorknob on the outside? It's because Jesus can't open the door. He's knocking. But if you open it, the doorknob's only on the inside. I, I love what he says. If you, I, I'm seeking you out. I'm chasing after you. I'm knocking on your door. If you just open the door, I'm going to come in. We're going to jam. That's basically what Jesus is saying here. We're going to have a feast. Things are going to be, be, be different. He, as a matter of fact, 21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, he who will listen, he who will take it in, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The church. This is why it's so important. The thing that's crazy about these letters, and I love this aspect of it, is the church ages the period of time when Jesus ascended into heaven to when Jesus will put his feet back on the earth. That's the church age. There's 2,000 plus years so far. If you look at these letters and what these churches were dealing with in the order that Jesus dictated the, the letters, or God dictated the letters, it matches up perfectly with the different seasons that the church has been through since Jesus has left. Perfectly. Perfectly. And I bet you can't guess what stage we're in now. We are the church of Laodicea. Those who don't know Jesus need the message. Those who of different religions are primed for it. Primed for it. And the church needs it. Church needs it. His message. Our power in heaven and earth has been given to me. So you go. You lead people to the Lord. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit, and teach each other to command all I've commanded. Behold, I'm very with you to the very end of the age. And if you look at that thing from the standpoint of the hometown and the country, do this to those in Marion, those who are in the USA, those who are different, those who believe differently than you, and to all the lost in the world. This is what we're saying. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.